0: Hi, and welcome to episode four of SSP's Early Career Publishing Podcast. I'm Meredith Adanolfi, coming to you from my home in Boston, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sara Grimma, recording from her home in London. For those new to the podcast, this series serves all facets of the scholarly publishing industry by bringing together insight, advice, and guidance from leaders and experts in the field. Today is part one of a two-part series that will consider the role of publishers in supporting early career professionals, as well as how those looking to develop their publishing careers can continue to do so during this time. In part one, we're gonna be focusing on what publishers are doing to provide support and security for their employees within these new and different working conditions. As we explore this question, Sara and I will be joined by industry leaders from Wiley, University of Michigan Press, and Taylor and Francis to get their perspectives on what their organizations are doing to help managers and early career professionals continue to be successful and feel secure. Sara, before we get into the interviews, I want to ask you what you're most looking forward to in these conversations with Alison, Leon, and Charles.
1: Thanks so much, Meredith, and thanks everyone for listening in. This is going to be a fascinating podcast and hopefully really valuable for everybody listening. I think I'm most looking forward to hearing about what these three publishers have put in place to support their staff during a very challenging time, and what all of us can therefore learn about the support and options that are actually available to us.
0: So on that note, shall we get started? Yes, let's move into our first interview.
1: Our first interview is with Charles Watkinson from the University of Michigan Press. Hi Charles, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to hearing what the University of Michigan Press has been doing over the last six months to support their staff. It would be great if we could actually get started today just to hear from you on a little bit about your career and you.
2: Well, thank you, Sarah, for inviting me. My background started in bookselling and then I moved into university press publishing and gradually became more and more involved with libraries. And so now I'm Associate University Librarian for Publishing at University of Michigan, and also Director of University of Michigan Press.
1: Okay, super. That actually leads us very nicely onto my first question, which is, what has been the focus of the University of Michigan Press leadership, specifically at this challenging time?
2: So we don't have a formal strategic plan, but we have strategic directions. So we've been able to adapt our strategic directions to the current situation. And our first strategic direction is around academic innovation. So we've been working on supporting the rapid transition to online research and learning. As part of that, we made our whole University of Michigan Press ebook collection freely available for readers on March 20th. And uh, we closed access at the end of August. So that's how we advanced that particular goal. Uh, Secondly, we're very concerned with getting peer reviewed knowledge out there. So sort of faculty public engagement. And that for us has been really about making a stand against racism. We don't provide medical information, but we do have as a humanities and social science publisher, a lot of information about political science, American studies. So we publish a number of core resources to understand and engage with racism. So that's been another big focus for us. And then the third one is we have a a value which we call humanity, which is a lot about inclusion and equity. And really, that's been a lot about supporting colleagues. Uh, so we've been 100% remote working since March 17th. And that's been a big change for us. So supporting remote working, providing flexibility, communicating, remaining a community during this time has been our third big focus as a leadership team.
1: And has that actually been across both the university and the press as one holistic organisation?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. We are a unit of the library. And the University of Michigan library has 450 staff. And we do share a common set of strategic directions and a common set of values. And those map up to the university as a whole. So it's absolutely the case that uh, in responding to this crisis, it's very much as part of the library leadership team that I've been involved in these kind of directions. And I've been bringing those back down to the Michigan publishing team. So what we're trying to do is have alignment from the level of the university down through the library, down through the publishing organization, down to the press.
1: And would you say that that the goals are very much aligned for each of those organizations or parts of the organization? Or is there any friction, for example, between the university and its goals in teaching and research, et cetera, and the press? Or has it been quite aligned?
2: It's been pretty aligned. One thing about the library that's uh, dominating a lot of the conversation is the challenges of reopening physical facilities. And clearly, that's not such a concern of the press. With publishing, we can uh, operate entirely remotely with really very little disruption. A lot of the rest of the library has to serve the needs of students and faculty back on campus. And that's been a big focus of the library's activities in general. So there's a bit of a mismatch there.
1: How are the press staff dealing with that? Has it has it been problematic? Or is it something that you've been able to just deal with as it comes up?
2: We've been able to deal with that. I mean, we really don't require much physical access to the buildings. I suppose where the university issues do impinge quite a bit are around the faculty we work with as authors. So one of the issues at the moment is there's a lot of uh, upheaval at the university uh, around graduate student instructors and graduate students who look after residential buildings. And they're actually on strike at the moment. And some faculty are coming out in support and some faculty are sitting on the sidelines. And of course, that impacts us because we have to watch our language a little bit. We have to make sure that we're not treading on people's toes. But it really is a peripheral concern but it's just a reality of being a publisher within a university setting that we have all this kind of noise and activity around us which might be a bit different in other cases
1: i think it is and I, and i think that's that's why i'm quite interested to hear more because for any of our listeners who are at what we would potentially call a traditional scholarly publisher i think you're facing things that many others are not
2: yeah it's true that when we're, we're sort of nested in this uh, larger higher education complex And that does give us uh, certain unique challenges, sort of navigating that, and also just managing some strategic issues that aren't strictly related to publishing, thinking about how we react and fit in with those.
1: And so how have you been communicating to staff?
2: Well, at the top level of aligning with the university, the main source of information is a daily stand-up of library leadership, which we call the COVID Liaisons Group, and that's chaired by the Dean of Libraries. That's where I get information about what's going on in the broader institution. And that's funneled down to staff in the publishing group. And just practically speaking, we started a daily newsletter on March 18th, which just goes out every day about 5.30. It's a Google Doc. It's split into social and business items. And now, I was just checking this morning, it's now 300 pages long. It's 100,000 words. (laughs) So we've we've built it up over time. But we have been doing that every workday since the start. And then we have library all-staff meetings weekly, and then Michigan Publishing all-staff meetings monthly, and then some informal events as well during the week. And each department head checks in with staff each week as well.
1: So it sounds like there's a lot of work being done to communicate.
2: Yeah, the challenge is making sure that it's both top down and bottom up. So really being able to listen to staff is important. And we do some surveys as well. And we do want to hear about how staff are doing, of course.
1: Sure. And has speaking of which, has the company put anything specific in place to support employees or the press?
2: Yeah. So, uh, again, this is about being part of a larger organisation. Um, so the university put in place special time banks over the summer to support care issues. So basically, if people were dealing with their own health or uh, dealing with dependents, um, either children or elders, so those special time banks were put in place. But now those have been pretty much exhausted. So our focus now is in flexibility and remote working. And we have a remote work support team at the library that provides support to the press staff.
1: What exactly is a time bank?
2: Oh, that's a special extra bank of essentially sick pay Okay. That, that can be used much more flexibly.
1: So flexibility sounds like it's absolutely key. Absolutely. And so what support have you yourself received to help you manage your team through this period?
2: Well, really important for me has been these uh, COVID stand-up meetings every day. And that's a chance to check in with other supervisors and leaders and just to make sure that we're aware of what each other are doing. And then there's a a community of practice, a library supervisor's community of practice that uh, the department heads in publishing are also in. And also the Association of University Presses has been a useful resource for us with um, various directors meetings and now we do monthly financials to see how the market is reacting, for example. So several layers of uh, support.
1: And I guess for you, you're considering both the financial and also thinking about your staff.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a major tension. You know, continuity of operations um, and protecting mental and physical health are not always uh, in total alignment. And I think that's at the heart of the university's challenges which are going on at the moment. Keeping students educated, keeping faculty employed, keeping staff employed, versus you know, the realities of health and safety when there is a physical presence on campus as well as remote working.
1: So how do you balance that?
2: Well, I wouldn't like to be the president of the university at the moment. <laughs> That's a very difficult balance. Luckily, the opportunity to work remotely 100% has made it a whole lot easier. It's a terrible balancing act at the moment.
1: So on that subject, what are the, some of the tough conversations that you've had to have with people?
2: Well, actually, the biggest ones in publishing are really to do with our commitment to anti-racism. So we are a predominantly white office. We've had some awkward conversations about the use of unintentionally racist terms, calling people to account bystander intervention. We have a couple of uh, people of color within the organization, but they are very much outweighed by the number of white people. And so uh, that's been probably our most uh, challenging, most uncomfortable, productively uncomfortable activity recently.
1: And have you received any training or guidance yourself on what to tell people, both in terms of the stability of the industry for COVID and some of the diversity um, initiatives that you're speaking of?
2: Yes, the COVID liaison meetings have been very important in terms of working out how to communicate about uh, issues of the university's economics and jobs and so on. On the diversity front, we've done a lot as a library. We have a diversity specialist within the library who's been very, very helpful. We've done a lot of trainings. We've done a lot of self-assessments. It's very much a work in progress, but a lot of this is about building our capacity to recognize racism and then having a, having a strategy to look at the systems we're involved in and kind of break them down. So quite a lot of support and uh, a a lot of work going on on that front.
1: How has that been received by employees of the press?
2: Differently. I mean, there are some people who are very keen to engage, um, other people who feel that this is an intrusion into matters that should be personal matters, not work matters. But it's a really, really big focus of the university. It's a focus of the library dean. You know, we're pushing forward with it.
1: And so just actually going back to covid What have you personally done to gauge the mental health of your team?
2: Well, the department heads have the closest relations with their staff, and it's checking in with them that I find out how staff are doing as well as they're doing. And so every meeting we have, we will start with, you know, how are you doing? How are your people doing? What are the issues uh, they're facing? I've actually found Twitter very helpful as a way of gauging how some staff are feeling, because there are several staff members who are very uh, public about their emotions on Twitter. And that's actually a very useful bellwether for me. Yeah, I would
1: imagine that Twitter has been great, both in terms of COVID and in terms of some of the diversity, the Black Lives Matter and some of the other issues that have come up this summer.
2: It's been huge. I mean, I I know that Twitter comes in for a lot of criticism, but I think if one weeds one's feed carefully. It's actually a terrifically useful uh, sense of where the community is. And uh, and, and it's my major source for information on new reports and what's going on more generally.
1: That is not a piece of advice I expected to get from this. So thank you very much. I will be taking that one with me.
2: It's all about who you follow, I think.
1: Absolutely. So given everything that has happened over the last few months, because I would say it's been a fairly big year in many respects, What do you think has been the biggest worry for employees and how do you think that any manager or senior leader in the industry can support that?
2: Well, I think the biggest worry is job loss, mandatory furloughs, layoffs. You know, as part of a larger organization, there's not a lot we can do about that at the level of the press. That would be a policy put in place by the institution as a whole. But being really transparent. So if we know anything, we will communicate it. I think that's really important. The other part of this is care responsibilities. So that's particularly stressful right now with school coming back into session. That flexibility, flexible working, measuring people on results, not just whether they're sort of in the office or in the virtual office at one time, it's really important. And allowing to reduce the amount of time they're spending if needed. So flexibility and transparency.
1: And how do you think people are feeling about their jobs and their responsibilities at the moment?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of feeling of being adrift and unmoored. Uh, Those words come up a lot. And I think one of the important things we can do is provide a sense of structure, something that is at least predictable in a world that is very unpredictable, and also having a great uh, focus on the sense of purpose, you know, What we do as academic publishers is important, whatever fields we publish in, we don't have to be a medical publisher to make a difference in this environment. So the sense of purpose and also providing as much feedback as possible from the market, when we hear from authors, when we hear from readers, That's very valuable information to pass back to the organization. And one of the nice things that we've had recently is a chance to meet a number of authors in kind of online interviews and podcasts and so on. And to be honest, most of the organization never really gets to hear from authors about how grateful they are, how much they've enjoyed working with us. And that's been really meaningful to us. Because a sense of purpose is essential at this point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that takes me on to the next point, which is how important is leadership right now?
2: Yeah, I think leadership needs to be in a place of uh, kind of servant leadership right now. Compassion, empathy, listening, those are all very, very important characteristics. I mean, this is not a time to be out of touch with people's emotions. But communicating a sense of purpose, I think that's essential and also just that sense of structure and process. Those are the three important things, I think. Kind of servant leadership, listening, Mm. the sense of purpose and the structure and consistency. So it's very important.
1: So what have you learned from this experience that you would impart onto your peers at other publishers, whether it is a university press or a, a, a mainstream press?
2: Well, I think first and foremost that what we do as publishers is important and we all need to recognize that and you know that's that's just something that really really motivates people. Everybody really wants to do the right thing. They want to help. They want to shape society at this point. And we have an amazing platform from which to do that. I suppose secondly, transparency is it's really key. And that's kind of easy for me to say because as a public university, everything is only a Freedom of Information Act request away. So our salaries are public knowledge. um, uh, Really, any emails we send, we're expected to just expect that everybody will be looking over our shoulders. But transparency is key. And then I suppose, just from a practical point of view around information, I mean, there's a lot of information coming out at the moment, especially in the university, we have dozens of emails a day coming with new policies, etc. And just the fact that information has to be delivered in multiple ways, and the same information has to be repeated several times, because people are trying to juggle so much. And just keeping abreast of the latest information is really hard. Mm. And we have to make sure it's just communicated really clearly.
1: So before we wrap up, do you have any closing thoughts that we haven't yet covered that you want to touch on?
2: I think there's a very strong sense of values across all publishing organizations, all academic publishing organizations at the moment. And I think that's really, really important. And I see it in Elsevier, I see it in university presses, I see it in library publishers, that we're really reflecting on the way that we do things, how we do things, as well as what we do. And I think that's really, really healthy. And it's connected to the sense of purpose It's connected to the fact that we all do this for the love of publishing of what we do. And we really need to bring our whole selves to the work that we're doing and just recognize how important it is and bring our personal values into this environment, especially at a time when, you know, values are important and issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice are very much on the table.
1: Thank you so much, Charles, for those final words, and I wish you the best of luck getting through the next few months.
2: Thank you very much, Sarah, and thank you to Meredith and you for this opportunity.
0: Sarah, that was a fascinating discussion with Charles. I was really glad to hear him bring up anti-racism efforts and commitments. University of Michigan are setting such a great example in making those efforts top priority, even in these really difficult pandemic circumstances.
1: I absolutely agree with you, and I was also so glad that Charles acknowledged the challenges inherent in the political upheaval of the summer and how important it is for the press to listen to their staff. A couple of other key points for me were Charles highlighting the role that Twitter can play in monitoring the health of staff. That was completely new to me, and I thought it was a great idea, and also the need to listen to our authors and readers right now. As Charles said, what we do is really important, and so we need to pay attention to that feedback. Let's now move on to our next interview with Alison.
0: For our second interview, I'm happy to be joined by Allison Labati, who is Senior Editorial Director at Wiley. Allison, I want to welcome you to the podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time to be here.
3: Thanks for having me, Meredith.
0: To start off, can you just talk a little bit about
3: yourself and your role at Wiley? Sure. I am a Senior Editorial Director in Wiley's research division, and it's a position I've held for about a year. We run teams managing our peer-reviewed journals portfolio at Wiley, and that includes about 600 colleagues around the world who are working on that program. And that's been my history, actually, in publishing. I started out in trade publisher and then moved quickly over to academic publishing when one of my mentors offered me a job. So I've worked at several major academic publishers over the years, and I've loved every moment of it. Oh, that's great. And given all that, I know
0: you're going to have a lot of useful insight on the topic that we're discussing today, which is how publishers like Wiley are supporting their employees and providing security during the uniquely challenging year that we're having right now. So to kind of start us off on that topic, my first question for you is, in general, what has been the focus of Wiley
3: leadership during this time? It's actually evolved since the pandemic really took hold around the world. So initially, um, we've got offices at Wiley in China, so we're pretty early affected by the pandemic. And our offices there shut down before others, of course, around the world. So Wiley was pretty fast to um, apply what we were learning in China to the other offices we have globally and has been really focused primarily on our employees' health and safety. So are they, um, first of all, physically healthy? Have they potentially been exposed to the virus? And if so, what kind of contact tracing can we help to do with the rest of our organization? And then also, are they mentally healthy? Given that we went to global lockdown in March, a big question for us both as managers and as a company has been how are people coping with that move to work from home and are they able to balance all the things that come with that kind of move and then secondly we've been focused as an organization on making sure that people are set up to do their jobs as well as they can from their particular circumstances And there have been all kinds of things for us to figure out in supporting people in that move to work from home. So that's been the big focus is how are people doing in this transition to work from home as they're affected by the pandemic and how can we help them do their jobs? That's great. It
0: sounds like Wiley and leadership are doing a lot and you hit all the major points there of what's been difficult during this time. I want to touch with my next question on something you mentioned there, which is sort of the mental health of the team. What have you been doing as a manager
3: personally to kind of stay in touch with the team and gauge the mental health? It's been difficult because everyone's in a different place. Personally for my own team, I have been well early in lockdown back in March. I set up one-on-ones with all of my team members so that I could check in with them privately and individually to see how they're coping and what their circumstances are. I'm doing a second round of that actually now, now that we know our offices won't open until January at the earliest. So people have been working in these circumstances for six months now, and many of them are expecting additional challenges as their families adjust to this fall and spring school schedule. So one-on-ones have been really helpful. Early in the pandemic and lockdown, I was sending out weekly emails to my team with different themes, either You know links to resources that they can take advantage of to help their particular situations sometimes just praising them for showing up every day and getting their uh, work done and sometimes with advice like make sure you're booking your vacation and taking time off even if you can't go somewhere you still need to get away from your work i'm also checking in with my managers regularly because they're closest to their team members. So just checking to make sure that they're managing and handling anything that's coming up from the individuals in the team. And Wiley has also surveyed our global team, I think three times now since March, to see what their challenges are, how they feel about their situations and the work work that they're doing. And one of the things that we found is that the stress levels have come down quite a lot since March um, over these progressive surveys, which I think is a testament just to people settling into these situations, but also I think to the support that the company has given them over this time.
0: Yeah, that's great. You you guys are doing a lot, which is great. I'm curious in terms of the surveys, but also the one-on-one conversations that you've had with your group, as you referred to, What has come through for you as kind of the biggest worry or the biggest concern for people?
3: I think for me, my biggest concern has been around how people are coping with everything that's going on in the world and in their lives. So we used to be able to separate a bit work from home, right? When we would go into an office or travel to a conference. And then a lot of people are able to sort of keep that outside themselves when they come back home. But now that everyone is doing everything in one space, it's difficult to get that separation. So I've been most worried myself about how people are coping with this adjustment and making sure that they're getting the mental time away that they need to be a human being. A lot of my team members are citing uh, Teams fatigue, Zoom fatigue, so every meeting these days is on a video screen. Um, there are no in-person meetings. There's no downtime, really. Um, people also aren't traveling, which has in the past given some of them a break from the daily email and, and typical meetings that you would have. They're also dealing with child care issues. So many members of my team have young kids, some infants, some teenagers, and everything in between. Some have elderly parents who they're, they're helping to care for. So it's been a huge concern for them to keep showing up to work every day while having these new um, pressures that they didn't have before with kids at home from school and family where they can't go to the senior center, for example. These have been really big pressures on them. So I've been most concerned about that and encouraging them to take the time that they need away from work to handle these these very real pressing concerns. And mostly I would say people are doing pretty well. They're definitely huge stressors. I have several people on my team who I would say are concerned that if we go into another broad lockdown with schools or childcare, they just won't be able to cope. But on the whole, I think they have felt very well supported and able to juggle these, these issues as they've come up yeah that was actually going to be my next
0: question on this very important topic which is is there anything specific that you've seen the company put in place to support employees who are dealing with particularly difficult circumstances at home what have you seen specifically that has
3: worked well so
0: far for people
3: that's a good question you know wiley itself has put in place a lot of resources and and sort of support networks for people from, you know, a a website, an internal website dedicated to all the things that happen with COVID to reminding people about the employee assistance programs that are available to them through their their insurance or their benefits providers. But I think what's been most useful for people has been two things. One is Wiley has really deputized its managers, its global managers, to be very flexible and supportive to people. So, For instance, I've got a couple of people in my team, some in the US and some in England, who have young children. And when daycare shut down, they had no choice but to be full time parents and full time workers. And what we've been able to do is just be really flexible with their hours. They work when they can, they take time off when they need it. And we're not requiring, in an official way, people to work the same number of hours that they would have otherwise, because they simply can't. And that's been a huge relief for a number of people. And then the second thing that I think has been most helpful has been these sort of pop-up support groups that have arisen across the community. Um, There's a, in fact, right now there's a group that's live yammering on mental health and support during COVID through one of our offices because There's a real recognition that people are struggling and they need to talk to other people who are going through what they're going through. So I've seen lots of channels of that happening across my organization where um, informal groups are cropping up to talk and provide a forum for people to vent. People are sharing articles and, and information that they're learning about what you can do to help yourself. So I would say those are the two things that have been most valuable, although there's, you know, countless other things that are going on, those are the ones that are really resonating. Yeah, those
0: both sound extremely useful. I'm kind of curious, from your view, there's a lot of great stuff in place. We know that there are some people who are a little bit harder to reach with activities like that, people who might not be taking advantage of what's out there. Have you had to have any tough conversations with people who might not be coming forward and sharing? Um, Yeah, what has been your experience with that?
3: I've had a number of hard conversations with people around their particular circumstances, and I suppose I mostly would chalk it up to difficulty balancing that work and home life. So some people are in really small apartments with small children or have lots of roommates in a small space. Some have had to move their location because they couldn't stay in the apartment that they were in or they wanted to lock down with family. Some have had family members who've died of COVID and have really had trouble coping with that and, and with what that means. So the stress levels have been off the charts, I would say, with a number of my team and the global team over this. I don't have, and I'm not sure anybody has the solution or the answer to those situations. The best we can do, I think, is to be supportive and to help them with the options that they're considering and to take as much stress out of the day-to-day work that we can. So we've been adjusting people's responsibilities and the tasks that they've needed to do to account for those adjustments. And I think making sure that, like you said, those who can't necessarily reach out or or maybe aren't as plugged into the network, I think the most we can do is keep trying to communicate with them. and check in with them on a regular basis to make sure that they're okay. There are some people who are naturally quiet and don't volunteer their situation. So one of the things that I keep coming back to as a manager is reminding them to take time off. You know, If you haven't booked your vacation, do it now, put some time on the calendar now and and put that in in two or three months time because you're gonna need it. Ultimately, I think we have to rely on people to ask for help when they need it. But there's so many indicators, as you know, of of how a person is doing along the way that we just try to pay attention and be proactive about reaching out. Yeah, you're pointing to something really important here, which is that you have to create the
0: environment that makes people feel comfortable asking for help if and when they need it. But you also know that there's sort of a boundary there a little bit, and you only can provide that environment and then look
3: for the indicators and hope that people will take it from there. That's right. There's it's a hugely stressful time for everyone. And I'm in that situation myself with two, you know, preteen children who still need attention and support during the day. So I get it. Um, I've also been in the shoes of many of my team in apartments with roommates and having parents who need help. Not everyone is forthcoming. Not everyone knows how to ask for help. So I think again, it's just really important that you, sense check every now and then and talk to to a variety of people in a variety of venues to see how they're doing we haven't lost anyone yet so far but um as i said before it's a really challenging time and if we lock down again if schools close in certain locations we're we're going to be forced i think to to make some more difficult decisions about who can carry on and who can't
0: yeah that's a great point very good to know that you haven't lost anyone yet. That's certainly a good sign about everything you're doing. Switching gears a little bit here, but definitely relatedly, certainly for early career professionals in this industry, there are going to be potentially a lot of concerns during this time just about the stability of the industry, potentially their specific company and, and their jobs. Is there anything you've been able to do for your team to sort of come up with strategies to talk to people about these things and give some sort
3: of reassurance? I would say that we're talking about that weekly how, you know, how we're doing as a company, what our researchers and librarians are saying, you know, what's happening in universities around the world and in our markets. So it's a constant conversation to reset expectations and understand, you know, the trends that are happening around the world in these different markets. Ultimately, I feel like the work we do is Way too important for this um, for our industry to suffer any kind of massive collapse. But um there's so much that we don't know yet about how this is going to play out that we could see some significant shifts in what our industry or what our companies do. We're taking a lot of cues from universities and from students in terms of what they're facing and and what the impacts to their um, budgets and their, their education cycles are going to be. But we're also looking at what's happening with jobs in other industries and related industries. I feel that we're probably in a more stable place than many others, but we have to be able to adjust, as you know, as things happen. So I think the guidance we've been able to provide people has been not definitive because nobody knows what's going to happen, but helpful to understand that the work that we're doing is so important. We don't think it's going to go away, but you know what can we do and what do we need to change in order to keep pace with the changes that we're seeing around the world as the pandemic impacts are known? I wish I knew what we were going to look like in six months' time. Um, I'm sure we all do, but as long, I think, as we can keep an open mind about adjusting to things as they happen and, and adjusting our policies and our business priorities as a result, I think we'll be okay. I think there's a high confidence in our industry at the moment. I hope that continues.
0: Yeah, I, I really like what you said about focusing on how important the work we're doing is and using that as kind of the leading focus in these conversations, but then also being practical and kind of moving on from there to, okay, what are we going to do to evolve? How are we going to keep up and how are we going to change? That gives people something concrete to kind of put their energies towards instead of worrying about where things might go when, as you say, we
3: don't actually know. That's right. We we There's so much uncertainty and no one knows what's going to happen, but I think you're absolutely right if, you know, remembering that the work we do is so critical to the research enterprise and the scientific enterprise is ultimately what gets people motivated anyway. So let's let's stay focused on that and do the best job we can, be flexible where and how we can, and I think we'll emerge from this all right. Yeah, I definitely agree.
0: My final question I'd like to ask you is just reflecting on everything we've talked about, what have you personally learned that you'd want to impart onto your peers at other publishers?
3: What do you think has gone well and not well? And what have you taken away? At Wiley, we've done several things really well and maybe one not so well. So the transition to work from home for our company has gone really well. We have bumps for sure um, in terms of people getting the equipment they needed or or having appropriate broadband support or having the right furniture um, to You know, be healthy at home. But we got through all that. And one of the things that was really critical during that period was having crisis management team to kind of manage all the issues that were coming in and farm them out to the appropriate teams to resolve. I think one of the other things that went really well for us was deputizing the managers with the authority to make decisions and to be flexible with their teams. So no one had early on in the pandemic a sense of what are what are the big barriers or the big obstacles to our people um, being safe and being able to do their jobs. So you, you really had to tackle it one by one. And one of the things I love about how we've responded to this is that we've given managers a lot of authority to make decisions and to be flexible in ways that they need so that their teams can... Can feel good about what they do in their jobs. And finally, I think the fact that we keep asking our people, how are you doing? We keep talking about it. Uh, There was an email from our central HR just last week about um, all the resources available and make sure that you're (laughs) mentally healthy. um, And here's what you can do if you're not feeling good about yourself right now has been really huge. So we're asking a lot and we're listening a lot. What we haven't done so well, I think, or what I would suggest we should do better is communicate even more. Um, there's always a danger of of overloading people's inboxes or providing them with too many um, meetings um, to share information. But I think even when we're uncertain about how things will evolve or how the policies will change in response to pandemic, uh, communicating more is always better. And I've seen a few instances where um, if we had done more of that, we could have avoided a couple of of situations for people. So that's what I think people could never overemphasize is communication.
0: Yeah. That's interesting that you say that's something I heard recently was if you think you're communicating enough,
3: double it and then you might come close. (laughs) I think that's a good general guideline for probably anything. Yes, exactly. Well, Alison, this has been incredibly interesting and
0: helpful as I knew it would be. Thank you for taking the time to think about these questions and share your thoughts. Is there
3: anything else you'd like to share that we didn't get to? I don't think so. I would just end by saying how wonderfully well I think our community has responded to the pandemic. Our focus on science and research and um, intelligence has been the driving force always for our industry, but in particular now when our lives depend on it. So I've been really impressed at how our community has come together, how our markets have responded, and the things that we're trying to do to to get through this together. So I hope to keep seeing more of that, and I appreciate the time that you've given me today. Thank you very much for your
0: time. I really appreciated hearing everything that Wiley's doing. Uh, it sounds like a very supportive organization to be a part of right now. Best of luck to you in continuing to navigate the challenges with your
3: team. Thanks Meredith, same to you.
1: Meredith, that was a really great interview and it sounds as though Wiley is doing a wonderful job in supporting their employees. I really liked Allison's comments about the need to consider staff's mental health. Having one-to-one check-ins, sending praise to ensure staff are aware their efforts are appreciated, reminding them to switch off and acknowledging that there's now very little separation between work and home life. I think it's important for us all to remember those key things.
0: Yes, and I particularly appreciated what Alison said about deputizing managers and giving them the freedom and flexibility to do what's necessary to support their teams. It's another important theme that I'm sure will be echoed in our final interview. So let's move right on to that.
1: Hi Leon, thank you so much for joining us today for the SSP Podcast. We so much appreciate your time and effort in joining us.
4: Oh, that's a pleasure, Sarah. Really good to be here.
1: I'd just like to get straight into things. Um, could we start by you actually telling me a little bit about your career and how you've arrived at this point, where you are now?
4: Sure. So I am Managing Director for Researcher Services at Taylor & Francis. and um, I run our, our journals program. So I've, I've worked in academic publishing for almost 30 years um, <laughs> starting uh, with, with Chapman and Hall. So I worked there for five years before moving to the the Institution of Civil Engineers. And from there, I went to the Society for Endocrinology. I was the chief executive for the charity, the society, but also ran the publishing and, and their commercial on Bioscientifica. So I was there for just under five years before joining Taylor and Francis in, in April 2015.
1: So you've already actually gone through a lot of industry change in your career and you've seen some interesting times.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, when I started in, in Chapman Hall, I think there was one computer in the corner of the room <laughs> that you weren't allowed to touch. Wow. And we had uh, we had blue books that we'd record manuscript changes in, and we, we everybody had a scalpel in there and their drawer to cut proofs and uh, just check when, when material came back from the typesetters, you would cut and stick and make sure that it was in position and so forth. And, yeah, you know, this does, well, I was going to say it sounds like it was the last century. Actually, it was the last century, but it really does sound like it was the last century in lots of ways. But the change has been really quick, yes.
1: It sounds like we could do a whole podcast on that alone, but uh, (laughs) in the the interest of time, we'll move on. Um, So where I would like to actually start, just thinking about the events of the past six months, what has been the focus of the Taylor and Francis leadership at this time?
4: I think it's been a really interesting time, and it's been a time that has caused uncertainty, fear some real issues as far as the, the the way the industry is going, but sort of wider than that as well. You know, we talk a lot about work-life balance, but when issues really are impacting loved ones and home and creating a, a whole range of uncertainties, I think the, the, the key responsibility and certainly the way that we have looked to approach it at Taylor & Francis is being really clear and consistent in the way that we've communicated with our teams. Because I think what people want above all is not to have anything sugar coated, but they just really need to know where they stand as far as you can, what the situation is, and I think that has been our sort of clear position as far as we can.
1: And has the company actually put anything, any programs or plans specifically into place to support employees?
4: Yes, and again, when I when I sort of look back over the six months and think about what we have done and how it's been perceived, because I think you can put the programs and so forth in place, sure, but. It's how they're taken up and what response you have from members of the team that that is important. We've always had things like, you know, assistance programs for for members of staff, you know, for the teams to ring and get some real-time input if they have concerns and so forth. And lots of organizations have that. But we've really looked to ramp that up over the last six months because it's not just about you know, how you feel within the organization. There are issues around mental health, there are issues around job and financial security as well. So there are things that we've done really to reassure and to ensure that members of the team feel supported. Also, asking how people feel, because setting up Um, systems and processes and saying, look, look, we're doing this for you as one thing, but you need to know what the impact is and you need to do that in real time. So our people team, which has has been superb throughout this, I think, has made a, a point of asking just short, sharp questions. You know, how are you feeling? What can we do? How's it going? And then as a leadership team, we come together and we collate that information and we see what the trends are, how things are playing out across the global team and where we need to make particular interventions, if that's the case.
1: Are there any specific programs or ideas that you've put in motion that are worth sharing that you think have really resonated with staff?
4: Two things. I think, first of all, the messaging. and It's not a program, actually. It's sort of an attitude and a cultural thing. And I think it's come up across the piece because one of the real pressures that members of the team had was trying to balance because everybody was at home, which meant that, you know, families were at home. So you had to find a way to operate if you're trying to do some work and you have young children or you have caring responsibilities. And one statement I was really keen to make right at the outset, and I know that this was something that other members of the leadership team made and expressed really clearly from the outset was that not only is that okay, but almost it's to be encouraged that you not to fret, not to be concerned about the the balance of responsibilities, but really to think about what is going to work for you and your family and we saw this consistently because Taylor & Francis, it's part of a larger organisation, it's part of the informer group. And the, the messaging was consistent that we really want members of the team to feel that they have the ability to spend time with those that they have a caring responsibility for. So that was one thing, not, not necessarily initiative, just, to, just perhaps a, a way of communicating and a, a message to get across really early on to, to, to be clear that that was, was OK. And
1: you said there were two things. What was the second one?
4: So as well as the way that we were operating with people who had caring responsibilities, we also, we said that the hours that you're working and how you work need to be balanced to suit you. That again, one of the issues that many of us had who were in calls on a pretty much constant basis to begin with, you know, you've been back to back calls, is managing that time, which means being able to manage your screen time. Uh, make sure that you're getting appropriate breaks making sure that you're getting away from the screen and actually having time to reflect and to stop so one member of my team ran a seminar actually talking to colleagues who'd been home working for a while and talking to them about tips and tricks that they had for managing time and for putting in boundaries again we were really clear on the messaging there that this was okay was to be encouraged what we wanted you to do was uh not feel that this was normal. And I, I rather hate the phrase now, new normal and old normal. It's a bit hackneyed, isn't it? But, you know, not to feel that it was, it, you had to work the way that we'd worked before, but actually to, to mix it up so that you could balance it and so that you could get the most out of your day. And I do that now. You know, I start, I've lost my two hour, well, actually it was three hours a day I was commuting when I was going into the office. I don't do that now. So instead, you know, I'm up and I'm out with my dog first thing. And I, it's a great thing is get, I get an hour to walk with my dog, clear my head, uh, and when I'm back at my desk, um, and then come back, have breakfast with my family, and I'm back at my desk about half a state, ready to go. And that suits me. So it is it is just making sure that you mix it, but also making sure that you know when to stop.
1: Right. And actually, that's a really good point, that knowing when to mix it, knowing when to stop, talking about flexibility. Are there any tough conversations that you've had to have with people? and And if so, what were they?
4: I think, yeah, look, yeah, knowing when to stop, but at the same time, you're trying to balance that with a need to deliver. So it's what is that? Um, how do you flex it? And I think that the hardest conversation was recognizing that in a time when the pressure remains on to deliver, it means that there are some things that we were doing that were important before that actually aren't as important now and recognizing that that's okay. Uh, one of the, the areas that we've looked to focus on is ensuring that we're aware of the key things that are going to deliver against the organization's goals and being clear that those are the priority it's tricky isn't it because if you think about saying to a, a team or a group look we want you to really focus on what's important there's an implied message there that you know what you were doing before isn't important and it was important but everything's changed so that that importance is, has changed as well so it's sort of getting your head around that and being clear that there is a it's fine to change balance and perspective and move fairly quickly and i think one of the the challenges for our industry is sometimes you know we are conservative and we like to do things in a particular way because it's worked really well for many years. But at a time like COVID, when so much is changing so quickly, I think that you've really got to think about goals and you've really got to think about how you measure what you do. And you've really got to be comfortable with stopping doing some stuff.
1: And and so on that point, I mean, in terms of thinking about communication and, and how you've had to manage what you need to deliver versus everything going on in people's lives, have you received any training or guidance on what to tell people? given that there's concerns around the stability of the industry, as you say, it's a very traditional industry, the company and people's jobs?
4: Yeah, I think that the the training and guidance. So as a, as a member of the leadership team, we work closely together in terms of, you know, formulating policy and deciding how we're going to ensure that these messages and the thinking is communicated in the right way. And I think that the important thing, as I said at the beginning, is to is to not, not to sugarcoat things, because I think what people want is is clarity and they want the certainty as far as they can get it. But they want they want they don't want things sugarcoated. And I think that the way that leadership throughout the organisation and by the way, you know, when I talk about leadership, I I'm not talking about necessarily those who are in the most senior positions, because one of the things that has been really impressive with the way our teams have performed over the last six months is uh, you know those who have taking it upon themselves to support colleagues and sort of take up roles of leadership even if they're they're not in leadership roles if you like and I think that that's really important it's something that shines when it, at a time of adversity and you know in a time of crisis but I think that um, in particular that sort of clarity around around messaging is key and when we when we talk and this a peer group um, at the TNF leadership team that spends a, a lot of time talking, reflecting, and peer-reviewing ideas as well. And when we think about uh, how best to do this, we make sure that we get the expert view. So we use the people, the HR team, to ensure that we're getting the right sort of balance. We ensure the messaging is consistent. So we use our internal communications team to make sure that we're clear on how messages are being put across. And rather than, you know, ideas coming necessarily being shot from the hip or coming from all over the business, we make sure that there is that consistency in the way that messaging gets across as well. We also have a strong... what we call the senior leadership team network and ensure that the guidance and messaging that goes out to that group is consistent too so just making sure that there is that sort of top-down way of ensuring clarity of messaging but also ensuring that we open up the channel so that we can hear the feedback that's coming from the team as well so we can see how how some of those messages are, are landing too
1: okay um thank you that's really useful and what have you personally done to gauge the mental health of your team
4: to begin with it's tricky this because we went from a position and we're a global team so i've got a team personally i've got a team that covers you know the major continents and all the rest of it and working different time zones one of the things that i think i've i, I think has worked well during this last six months um and i say six months which is a, an interesting insight because uh you know we in the uk we came down in, into lockdown in 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 march um but I, I had teams in in china in beijing and shanghai who had gone into lockdown much earlier and i remember saying to them early on and this was before we'd locked down and actually before we'd realised just how significant this was, making comments to them about how supportive we needed to be and that we would be there for them in sort of February time. But it was only in March when it happened to me as part of the team in the UK. And I realized how significant and how overwhelming the lockdown process was. I really reflected and thought about, you know, what what are the messages that I was giving to the team at the time? And, and you know, it's much easier to understand the impact of something when, it, when you've been hit by it. So that was a really interesting learning for me. So I've taken that on board very clearly. Personal impact and what I've learned, I think I've been more reflective. I've certainly thought a lot about the importance of words. At the beginning of the process, we did spend time, I spent time pulling my team together to have regular, what we call coffee and connect sessions. So online sessions without an agenda. I'd be there and I'd host and we'd have an opportunity to share and talk and anybody could join. So anyone could come on board and take part in that. And it was interesting because we had good take up, but the people who were taking it up were the people who were happy taking it up. I think the people I was more concerned with were the people who weren't taking it up and thinking about how I could connect with those. And I think you can do that by email you could do that by recommending to to people on the call to 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 reach out to to those who weren't on the call and just to 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 make a an informal connection to see how people were and just to ask you know are you okay uh do you want to meet up for a, a virtual cup of tea that sort of thing so we were doing a bit of that and that i think worked well but my biggest concern has been those who are choosing not to engage because either they're feeling low and don't just don't want to or feel that it's not for them i think it's really important that we do everything we can to reach out to every member of the team that we can so one one additional thing that we did as a team and this wasn't just the management team it was reaching out to just pulling out a couple of people from the organization who you don't know and just sending a note and saying you know how's it going and i thought when i first started doing this i thought this would be a very peculiar thing to do you get a, a message from a managing director of another section of the business saying hello how are you i think that might scare the living daylight sort of people might you might just think this is a bit odd why are you doing this but i got a really nice response i got people just coming back and saying don't know you know, don't know who you are but thank you and a little bit of conversation going on and we have a really good internal network that allow allows people to see who's who i think that worked well so those sorts of almost serendipitous ways of connecting to people not making it too formal not betting it down in any sort of script making sure that you're just showing empathy and you're doing what you can to reach out to those who who you you don't see as often as you would ordinarily.
1: And from all of these many conversations that you've had, what do you perceive to be the biggest worry at the moment? And how do you think that any manager or senior leadership in the industry can support that?
4: There's real concern over what's going to happen to not just the industry, the global economy over the next couple of years. You know, We've taken a, a significant hit and it's going to be hard. And that's going to impact on people within the organization, but it's going to impact on their loved ones as well. And that creates uncertainty. And I think that's been one of the conversations that and managing workload, because at a time when you you need to do everything that you can to stabilize and ensure that your teams are okay, but you're also thinking about how to manage resources and not to to overspend. Yeah, there's pressure that is put on people. You know, I talked before about the, the reprioritizing work and making sure that people are working at doing the right things, encouraging people to stop doing things, and you know, making it making them feel that it's okay to stop. I think is a key thing. So, I think I've had a lot of feedback and interaction with teams who have been stressed because the work has been has been increasing and it's been increasing significantly, and. Thinking about how you change that, thinking about how you allow people to stop doing certain things, but also recognising there are certain things that can't stop. So just then pushing out timelines and changing changing the objectives or changing the time when things are going to be, delivering, be delivered and making sure that people know that that's OK. But as I say, at a time when there is uncertainty, economically. And that uncertainty will impact people within the organization, but might also impact those that they care with, that they live with, partners and so forth, who who may be losing jobs or maybe uh, may have uncertainty around what they're doing too. I think the key thing, it just goes back to, to clarity. And what I want is at the end of this process, and it will end, to feel that there is nothing that I said during the process or nothing, no indication that I gave that, you know, I may have been wrong, it may have been misinformed, but it wasn't done with anything other than the best intention with empathy and with with some sort of clarity as far as our team members are concerned. And I think as long as you can be consistent and clear in that regard, then that goes a long way.
1: Absolutely. Uh, just in terms of closing comments, are there any thoughts or, or ideas that you think are super important, particularly for your peers at other publishers that we need to cover that you think are key learnings?
4: Yeah, I think this recognition that it's a global crisis and that therefore things are moving at a different pace depending on where you are globally, depending on where you might sit within the organization. I'm really concerned about some of my earlier career colleagues who you know, may be in shared accommodation, may not have the security that those who are later in their career may have. I'm also concerned about those who are later in their career, who you know may not have the support networks others have. So I think it's there is no one size fits all. There's a one size fits all in terms of that clarity and consistency and empathy, but you just need, as a leader, you just need to keep your eyes open and just be aware of the multitude of factors. And this is why we do it. This is why we act as leaders because we we want to to make a difference and we want to 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 be able to inform and support colleagues. But I think that. Just being aware that there are sort of multiple layers to all of this, I think is really important and trying to to address those as well as you can and not just taking a, a fixed approach. That would be my, my sort of key learning from all of this.
1: Thank you so much. I think that's such a valid point to end on and, and a really important one for everyone to hear. And uh, thank you for your time.
4: Thanks, Sarah, to you too. Thanks very much indeed. Good to talk to you.
0: that was another interesting conversation with Leon. I especially liked his point about looking out for early career professionals who might not be established enough yet to have the support they need. That's such a critical thing to look for as managers and colleagues. Well, it's been really inspiring to hear about all the unique and thoughtful approaches that Taylor and Francis Wiley and University of Michigan Press are taking to support their people. All of these organizations are clearly going above and beyond. Some of the recurrent themes that I heard were the focus on flexibility, putting people first, checking in often to monitor everyone's mental health, and making sure to remember and keep front of mind that what we do as an industry is so important and will continue to be important no matter how things evolve.
1: We want to say also thank you again to Leon, Allison, and Charles for your time and to all of you for listening to the podcast. We'll be back soon with part two in which we'll focus on continuing your career goals and development during these challenging times.